Chapter 19 The only window was covered with a heavy metal security grate, and there was only one door. Murphy immediately began pounding on it, but it was solid oak. Let us out, he shouted. Alex and Ricky pulled and pried at the security grate, but it wouldn't budge. We're trapped, Angela yelled shrilly. She's trapped us in here with, uh, uh, dead. Calm down, Angela, said Nikki, taking her gently by the shoulders. Yes, agreed Trisha, her own voice shaking. We've got to keep calm. We've got to think clearly. At that moment, Justine's little bell rang from outside the window. Surprise, she called into them, her face close to the security grate. She was shining a powerful flashlight on her face. Now, wasn't this the best Halloween trick of all, Justine said, obviously pleased with herself. Let us out of here, Justine, said Terry. I don't know what you have in mind, but David will be back any minute with the police. Then I'd better hurry, hadn't I, she said calmly. She smiled at all of her guests, a cruel, mocking smile. It's time for the last surprise of the evening, she said. But first, I want you all to sit at your places at the table and open the gift boxes. You've lied to us from the beginning, said Alex. Why should we do anything you say? Because, said Justine coldly, I will be very angry if you spoil my surprise, and who knows what I might do then. Now find your places. One by one, the guests drifted to the table and sat down. For a minute or so, the only sound was of chairs scraping along the floor, punctuated by sniffling from Angela. Is everybody ready, said Justine. Good. Now we will finish playing truth. Only this time, it's my turn to tell the truth and for you to pay the penalty. She smiled her crazy smile, and Terry felt cold again. Maybe she just wanted to talk, he hoped. He'd heard that some insane people simply needed a chance to talk about the things that were bothering them. Besides, she was outside the house. What could she possibly do to them in here? Before I begin, Justine went on, I'd like you to unwrap your packages. She waited while the guests untied the boxes. Inside each one was an identical photograph of a smiling young couple dressed in clothes of the 60s. The woman had dark hair, but she looked hauntingly like Justine. The pictures are of a couple named Edmund and Sissy, Justine told them. Now, I want you to look at the pictures while I tell you a story. She glanced around the room to make sure everyone was looking at a copy of the picture. Edmund and Sissy, Justine began, were just like you, young, full of happiness and hope for the future. They were full of hope until 28 years ago tonight. She paused, then went on in a sing-song way, as if she had memorized the script. 28 years ago, it was Halloween, just like tonight. Edmund and Sissy have been visiting friends. They were on their way home to their nine-year-old daughter, whom they love very much. Their car was going south on Old Mill Road. Again, she paused. Even though he knew what was coming, Terry couldn't help listening, fascinated as the story unfolded. At the same time, Justine continued, there were two cars full of teenagers driving north on Old Mill Road. They had just been to a Halloween party and were still partying. They decided to drag. There were exactly nine of them in the two cars. One block from the corner of Fear Street and Old Mill Road, one of the cars with teenagers in it collided head-on with a car carrying the young couple. Their car rolled into a ditch and burst into flames. By the time the firemen got there, it was too late to save them. Terry could tell from the looks in the other guests' faces that most of them had guessed the truth by now. Angela and Trisha were both crying, tears running down their faces. Justine went on, her face cruel and old-looking in the flashlight beam. I want you to shut your eyes now and imagine what Edmund and Sissy felt that night, she said. Imagine how it felt to be trapped in a burning car, the heat unbearable, with no possible escape, and no one to help you no matter how loudly you screamed. You may have guessed by now that Edmund and Sissy were my parents, but you may not have guessed the names of the teenagers in the other two cars. She recited the names slowly. 
Terry heard gasps as different guests recognized the names of their own parents. None of the teenagers were even hurt, Justine said. None of them ever paid for what they did to my parents. So I have decided that you, their children, will pay. There wasn't a sound from the dining room, except for the sniffling of Angela and Tricia. Les had the honor of paying first, said Justine, because it was his father who drove the car that killed my parents. The rest of you will go together, the way your parents should have all those years ago. No! Angela screamed suddenly. How can you make us responsible for something that happened before we were born? It's not fair! What happened to my parents wasn't fair either, cried Justine. Let us go, Murphy pleaded. We won't tell anyone what we know. Justine scrutinized him a moment, then burst into laughter. Do you really think it's that easy, she said. Terry looked at Nicky, feeling hopeless. He didn't know what Justine had in mind, but he was sure it was something horrible. We've got to keep her talking, Nicky whispered. What? As long as Justine is talking, she can't do anything to us, Nicky said. So we've got to stall her until the police come. If they come, Terry thought. David had been gone for quite a while. Still, Nicky's idea made sense. Justine, he called. She turned to him, annoyed. What is it now? she said. I just... I just wanted to know how you managed to fool all of us so completely. I mean, everything seems to be planned down to the last detail. Justine was obviously pleased. I'm glad you appreciate my efforts, she said. I've been planning this for a very long time, and I must admit, even I didn't suspect how successful it would be. So, all of it, the invitations, the surprises, all of it were part of your plan? Of course, said Justine. Everything was leading up to this moment, and now it's time. Nikki interrupted her again. But... How could you do it all, she said. For instance, someone hit me and carried me downstairs. It couldn't have been you. But of course it was, Justine smiled, just exactly as if someone had complimented her on her hair. But how did you get me down to the basement, Nikki went on. I know you're strong, but even you couldn't carry me that far. I didn't have to, said Justine smugly. There's an old dumbwaiter system in the house. I just put you into it on the second floor and then lowered you to the basement. What about the cut banister, said Terry. Did you do that too? Justine laughed. What do you think, she said. I realized before the party that someone might suspect me, so I arranged for a little accident. It wasn't hard at all. When I was a teenager, I studied gymnastics. She thought of everything, Terry thought. We don't have a chance. He tried to come up with something else to ask Justine, to keep her talking, but his mind had gone blank. What about Les, said Nikki suddenly. What about him, said Justine. The others heard you talking to him before we came in here, Nikki said. Justine laughed a scornful laugh. They heard me, but I'd be willing to bet they didn't hear Les's side of the conversation. But time is wasting, Justine said, her smile fading. If you will look up toward the ceiling, you will see that I have put up some state-of-the-art speakers for your entertainment? Terry glanced up, surprised. As Justine had said, four huge speakers were attached high on the walls just below the ceiling. The speakers are connected to a battery-powered cassette deck I have out here, Justine went on, which reminds me, it's time to begin your penalty. But what about, said Terry. No, said Justine, no more questions. It's time to get on with the rest of the surprise. Again, she smiled, a smile so sweet that it was shocking in contrast with the terrible things she was saying. When I started thinking about how to make you pay, she said, I realized that I wanted you to suffer the same way my parents had suffered long ago, but I couldn't arrange a car accident. And then I realized I could easily reproduce the worst parts of a car rack. She ducked below the window a moment, then stood up again. I just switched on a tape that I made especially for you, she said. A low rumbling began to come up from the huge speakers. Terry recognized the sound of a car engine starting up. Since I can't recreate a real accident, Justine went on, I'm going to make you hear what it's like. 
hear the shriek of twisting metal, the screams of pain from the terrified victims. The sound of the engine grew louder, and now there were new sounds, those of tires squealing around curves as the taped car picked up speed. Is this what she's going to do to us? Terry wondered in shock. Make us listen to a tape of car crashes? Is that all? Of course. Just hearing the sounds of an accident isn't enough, Justine went on as if she'd read his thoughts. For you to really pay, you must also experience the pain they experienced and die the way they died, she flicked on a cigarette lighter. I've piled a bunch of oily rags in the area just outside the dining room, she said. I'm going to go in and light them now. It would take a few minutes for the flames to reach you. You'll have plenty of time to think about what my parents suffered and what's going to happen to you. She bent down again, then walked away from the window. Terry wanted to talk to the others, to try to plan and escape, but the soundtrack on the tape quickly grew from loud to deafening. He couldn't hear anything as the car and the tape speeded up. A moment later, there was a sickening squeal of brakes, the crunch of twisting metal, shattering glass, and then the screams, screams of pain and terror. Over and over these sounds played, so loud that Terry could feel their vibrations in his whole body. To the screams on the tape were added the screams of the guests trapped in the dining room. Their hands clapped over their ears as they tried to shut out those dreadful, overwhelming noises. It was the most horrifying experience Terry had ever been through. He didn't think anything could be worse. And then the first tendrils of smoke began to seep under the dining room door. Chapter 20 It was like a scene from a nightmare, Nikki thought, as she watched her friend scream and writhe, trying to blot out the terrible sounds. Even Terry had his eyes squeezed shut, his hands pressed tightly to his ears. When the smoke began to filter into the room, the hysteria grew even greater. Alex and Murphy began beating on the window bars, clawing at them. Both boys had blood all over their hands and running down their arms, but they didn't seem to notice. Nikki could feel the vibrations from the tape through her body, but there was no terror in it for her. Rather, she felt almost as if she were standing back, watching something happen on a stage. She did know that she was in mortal danger, that all of them were. The smoke coming in under the door was growing thicker. Nikki knew that they didn't have much time. She pressed her palm to the door. It was already hot. Somehow, they had to find a way out. Maybe if they all worked together, they could break down the door or bend back the grating. She touched Terry's shoulder. Terry, she said softly, we've got to do something. He just stared at her, her eyes full of pain and confusion. He couldn't hear anything she was saying, and he obviously couldn't think straight. She tried Alex next, but like Terry, he couldn't hear her. He turned away and went back to pulling on the grating with Murphy. Has everyone lost their minds? She said out loud, and realized that, in a way, they all had. Trisha and Angela were huddled together in a corner, sobbing, and Ricky was standing in front of the door, his eyes closed. None of her friends would be able to help her, Nikki realized. Maybe David would come soon with the police, but he'd been gone a long time. So many things could have happened to him that she knew she couldn't count on him now. It was up to her. Trying not to panic and trying to ignore the growing clouds of smoke, she forced herself to think logically. The door was too heavy to break through. She went over to the window and pushed in between Murphy and Alex. The grating was thick and immovable. She stepped back and forced herself to take two or three deep breaths of the clear air coming in from the window. By now, the smoke in the room had become thick as fog, and her friends were completely lost in their hysteria. Justine had planned her revenge well. If only there were another way out. If only there were a skylight or a heating vent, or... Her eyes fell on a handle set in the wall. A small spark of relief jumped within her. It might just be a cupboard, but maybe... She opened the small door and almost cried with relief. It was part of the old dumbwaiter system that Justine had talked about. 
The dumbwaiter basket appeared to be much too small to hold a person, but Nikki was slender, and besides, Justine had said that was how she'd gotten her into the basement. With a sinking feeling, Nikki realized she wouldn't be able to lower the basket herself. It was designed to be lowered manually by someone pulling on a rope attached to a pulley. She would have to find help. But could she break through to any of her friends? Terry was still sitting with his hands pressed tightly over his ears. She shook him roughly. When he turned to her, she shouted as loudly as she could, Terry, you've got to help me. He continued to stare at her blankly. Terry, she called again. Please, it's up to us. She searched his face, willing him to understand. Terry blinked, and then suddenly his eyes cleared. He looked at her with understanding. Funny face, he said. The tape was much too loud for him to hear her. She pulled on his arm and led him over to the dumbwaiter. She pointed to herself, then to the basket, and pantomimed pulling on a rope. By now, Alex had come over too, and both boys were staring at her as if she had lost her mind. You can't, Terry said. It's too dangerous. Nicky read his lips easily, but shrugged off his warning. She pointed to the dining room door, where smoke was pouring in thicker and thicker. She's right, Alex shouted. It's her only chance. Reluctantly, Terry nodded his agreement. Good, Nikki thought with relief, but would it work? Together, Alex and Terry boosted her up to the entrance to the dumbwaiter. She took a deep breath and crawled into the basket. It was a tight fit, but by keeping her knees tucked up under her chin, she was able to sit almost comfortably. Ready, she shouted, her heart pounding furiously. Alex began to operate the pulley. She could feel the ancient mechanism creaking and groaning under her weight. Would it hold her? Suddenly, the dumbwaiter basket caught on something. Looking up, she could see Alex and Terry pulling on the ropes, trying to free it. It wouldn't budge. The air in the shaft was hot and smelled of smoke. The fire was spreading quickly. If the basket didn't begin moving soon, she would smother there inside the walls of the old house. Knowing it was risky, she began to rock back and forth. She knew that it would either free her or cause the basket to fall the rest of the way to the basement. With a sudden, sickening lurch, the basket dropped several inches. Nikki felt as if her heart had stopped, then she relaxed as the basket resumed its steady progress downward. At the bottom, she pushed hard on the inside of the cupboard door and scrambled out. The air was much cleaner there, and for a moment she just breathed. Then she switched on her flashlight and shone it around the dark, musty room. The basement was shaped irregularly and contained what seemed to be dozens of nooks and cupboards. How had Terry ever found her down there? At last, the flashlight showed the basement stairs, and she quickly ran up them, only to find that the door was scorching hot. If she opened it, she'd be incinerated. There had to be another way out. There had to be. Again, she shone the flashlight around. Something dark and furry skittered off to one side, and Nikki jumped. At last, she saw the outlines of a window and rushed over to it. Her heart sank in dismay. It was boarded up. Nikki wanted to cry. After everything that had happened, to be trapped there, to die there, Stop it, she told herself. Don't give up now. Her friends were all depending on her. Terry was depending on her. Somehow, she had to find a way out. She propped the flashlight so it shone on the boards over the window and began pulling at them, her fingernails all breaking. Finally, one of the boards began to work loose, and she could see the dark shape of an overgrown bush outside. She pulled harder and harder. At last, the board came free. The space wasn't quite big enough for her to escape through. But if she could get one or two more boards loose, she might be able to wriggle out and go for help. She began pulling on the next board, trying not to think about how long it was taking. She had nearly pulled it free when she felt a hand squeeze her ankle. Chapter 21 Nikki screamed and jumped away from the window. As she did, she tripped over something soft and went sprawling on the floor. It's Justine, she thought. Justine has found me and will kill me right now, right here, but she won't do it without a fight. Nikki twisted and tried to pull away from the hand that held her. 
But then, in the dim light from the flashlight, she saw that it wasn't Justine at all. It was Justine's Uncle Philip. The hand that gripped her ankle was securely tied with rope to the other hand, and his ankles were already tightly bound together. A large stain of dry blood showed on his white and blue polka dot shirt. Nikki was so surprised that at first she didn't realize Philip was speaking to her. She squinted in the dim light and peered closely to see what he was saying. Help me, he said, his sad clown's face distorted by the urgency of his words. Please, please, you've got to help. I will, said Nikki then. Philip stopped talking in surprise. But you've got to help me too, she added, me and my friends. She began to untie Philip's hands and feet, explaining as she did what Justine had done. When she told him about the fire, Philip's eyes widened in horror. I thought I smelled smoke, he said. I never dreamed that even she... Nikki finished untying him. Come on, she said. We've got to hurry. Philip scrambled to his feet and ran to a chest, returning with a thick crowbar. For such a frail-looking man, he was surprisingly strong. He pried the remaining boards off the window in only a few seconds. Then he lifted Nikki onto the windowsill and scrambled after her. Once outside, Nikki greedily gulped in the fresh air. But there was no time to waste. Nikki and Philip ran around to the front of the house. Inside the windows, they could see the glow of the fire. The other teens were all pressed against the window grate, struggling to breathe. Philip pried at the grating with his crowbar. No. No, it won't budge, thought Nikki, the panic rising to her throat. No, no. Keep trying. Yes! At last, Philip pulled off the grating. Choking and gasping, the kids began to climb out, their eyes red and streaming from the thick, acrid smoke. Alex and Terry had helped the others out and were the last to emerge. An instant after they left, the door to the dining room burst into flames. Nikki and Philip led the choking, shocked kids out to the safety of the front yard. Far from the house, it was now in flames from the basement to the attic. Once they had reached safety, Terry found Nikki and hugged her tight, kissing her face and hair. Funny face, he said over and over. Funny face! Nikki scarcely was able to believe he was all right. His face was streaked with soot and his eyebrows were slightly singed. It had been close. Very close. Nikki and Terry just stood there with their arms around each other, watching the burning house send up bright orange sparks into the sky. To the east, faint streaks of light began to appear. Part of the roof suddenly caved in, sending a huge shower of sparks all over the lawn. Everyone moved back to the very edge of the yard. An instant later, David stumbled out of the Fear Street woods. So, I guess Morty and Bobby were too drunk to know what they were doing, David was explaining. When I finally woke up, I was in the storage shed at the corner of the cemetery. I went over to the nearest house and called the police. David had a huge bruise on his forehead and patches of dried blood on his cheeks, but he seemed to be all right. In fact, everyone was. Everyone but less. Trisha and Ricky were both sitting and watching the fire, almost as if nothing had happened to them. Murphy and Angela were sitting in the tall grass, ignoring how wet it was, comforting each other. Alex was standing off by himself, a sad look on his face, the beautiful silver costume ripped and streaked with soot. Terry couldn't believe it. How could so much happen in so short a time? He had a feeling that everything that had happened in that house that night had changed all of them, forever. The faint wail of a siren began to sound in the distance. Philip stood in front of the group of them, and Terry was surprised to see there were tears in his eyes. I'm so terribly, terribly sorry, he told them. I never meant anything like this to happen. You must believe me. What do you mean, said Alex angrily. We were almost killed in there. All I wanted, said Philip, was to frighten you. Nothing more. Terry thought he was beginning to understand, and the knowledge enraged him. Are you saying this was your idea all along, he demanded? Yes, Philip said in a shamed voice. You see, Justine's father was my older brother. He was the closest person to me in the world. 
After he died, I vowed to raise Justine so he'd be proud of her, but I could never get over his death, and I guess through the years, I must have communicated my bitterness to Justine. I see I should now have taught her forgiveness and love. Instead, I taught her hatred and the desire for revenge. Then you planned this all these years? said Tricia, sounding horrified. No, not at all, said Philip. He stopped and wiped his hand over his face. Last year I became ill and decided to spend my last days in my brother's old home. I told everyone I was a distant cousin so they would leave me alone, but when Justine found out I was here, she left her boyfriend and career and moved in with me. She convinced me that I could never die in peace until I'd avenged my brother's death. Terry stared at Philip in horror. Everything he was saying sounded like someone's nightmare, yet it was all true. You know the rest, Philip went on. Justine enrolled in the high school while I researched the original party and traced the sons and daughters of the teenagers involved in the accident. Then we sent out the invitations. How could you do it? Alex asked. How? None of us ever did a thing to you. I know it, said Philip, and perhaps I was a little crazy to have carried a grudge for so long. But you must believe me. I never intended any real harm to come to you. I only wanted you to know terror, to know suffering for a while. But Justine took your plan one step too far, didn't she, said Nicky. In contrast to Alex, Nicky's face and voice showed nothing but sympathy. I didn't realize how obsessed she had become, Philip said, nodding in agreement, until I found, found the body of your friend Les. I knew Justine had done it, and I knew I must stop her. I hid his body on the roof so no one would find it, and then I confronted my niece with what she had done. I told her we must stop the party at once. I told her I was going to call the police, but she, she... He stopped speaking and began to sob. She attacked you, said Nicky. I know. She did it to me, too. I never expected her to, to act against me, said Philip. She stunned me with a blow to the head, and then she must have dragged me down to the basement and tied me up. Are you trying to tell us that Justine did all of this herself? Killed Les? Knocked you out? Alex was plainly disbelieving. You must understand, said Philip, that Justine is very strong. I think she worked on building up her strength so she would be capable of anything. I believe she always knew she would do something like this. How dare you? Everyone turned at the sound of Justine's voice. She was standing at the edge of the garden, her lovely face almost unrecognizable beneath the madness and rage. Justine, Philip cried. In spite of everything he had told them, Terry could see how much he still loved his niece. You betrayed me, Justine shouted at him. Even worse, you've betrayed my parents. I should have killed you when I had the chance. No, cried Philip, sinking to his knees. Don't say that. I should have known you were too weak to do what had to be done, she said. No one was ever as strong as I was. I planned the perfect revenge, and it would have succeeded. It nearly did succeed. She glared at all of them with pure hatred. Terry looked away. Nicky gripped his hand more tightly. We're safe now, he told himself. She can't hurt us anymore. But he jumped in fright, as everyone else did, when suddenly Justine ran directly at them, her green eyes blank with madness. Just before she reached them, she suddenly veered to the left, and then, moving faster than seemed possible, she ran up the front steps and onto the burning porch. Chapter 22 No! A single, anguished wail from Philip split the air. Terry froze when Justine had swerved and headed back to the burning house. But as soon as she reached the steps, he began running too, almost without realizing he was doing it, running after her, running toward the heat and the flames. From the corner of his eye, he sensed motion, and just as he reached the steps, he saw that Alex, too, was running after Justine, just behind him. Without slowing down, Terry ran up the steps and onto the blazing porch. Justine was standing just at the entrance of the house, swaying slightly, 
her clothes beginning to burn. She turned around, and when she saw Alex and Terry, her eyes widened, and she started into the house, which had become an inferno of flame. Grab her, Alex shouted. Terry reached out and grabbed for Justine. He got her arm and pulled with all of his strength. But with the strength of the insane, she lunged in the opposite direction, pulling him into the house after her. Both of them tumbled onto the burning floor. Terry screamed as he saw the flames, spreading to within inches of where he lay. The next thing he knew, someone had grabbed him and he was rolling out of the house, down the steps and into the mud. Someone rolled him over and over, the cool mud soothing the heat. He sat up dazed to see Alex standing over Justine, beating out her flaming clothes with his silver jacket. Justine was sobbing now, not in insanity, but in defeat and pain. Alex came over and bent over Terry, his pale face frightened and drawn. Hey man, he said. You all right? Terry nodded. You saved my life, Alex. Thanks. You tried to save all our lives, Alex said, putting a hand on Terry's shoulder. I guess we were just too stubborn to listen. For a moment, the two boys just stared at each other, and Terry saw something he had never expected to see again, the look of friendship and respect. He hoped that his face showed the same things. A moment later, the yard filled with the flashing lights and wailing sirens of emergency vehicles. While the firemen began to battle the blaze, medical personnel examined Terry and Alex for burns. Nikki stood close beside Terry, holding onto his arm as if she would never let go. What do you think will happen to Justine, she said. She will get the help she needs, said Philip sadly. They watched as Justine was strapped into a hospital gurney. A few minutes later, the police ambulance pulled out of the yard, its siren wailing. Overhead, a shower of sparks erupted, illuminating the ruined skeleton of the Cameron mansion. Behind the black smoke, the red morning sun made its first appearance. Hey, we made it all night! It's morning! Ricky cried. It isn't Halloween anymore! I don't know about that, said Nikki, holding on to Terry's arm as they began to walk away. It's always Halloween on Fear Street. This concludes Nightfall Audiobooks production of Halloween Party by R.L. Stein, a Fear Street novel, Book 8. Well, thank you for listening to Halloween Party by R.L. Stein. What a book. I haven't read this before, so it was completely new to me. I'm glad it was only 22 chapters, so it made it sort of short to record, but on the other hand, the first half of the book was so long and so thick. I have chapters that are nearly 18 minutes long, and that's unheard of for Nightfall audiobooks. I am used to chapters being sub-15 minutes, but 17 or 18? It's really, really hard to give you that 3 chapters, 30 minute sweet spot that I try to provide for each episode. On top of that, I use a text file to record these books. I can have the script up in front of me on one monitor and Audacity on the other monitor. And it makes it very easy for me to edit on the fly if I need to. So when I encounter a character's name, and again, I haven't read this book before. So when I found like Marty or Ricky or Bobby, I would take the name, run it through the, the text editor and say, okay, how many times does this name appear in the book? And when it's like, Alex is 300, okay, well, I guess we're going to give Alex some attention. We're going to give him a voice. When it's Ricky and Bobby and Marty and it's 80, well, I guess they don't really matter, so we're going to give him my voice. But what I didn't know was that this book had a ton of narration, and then when all the characters got together, their voices were overlapping because I never assigned anybody proper voices. I also don't have the vocal range to assign voices to 11 characters at once. 
I am really sorry about the voices. Trisha especially jumped all over the place. I only really nailed Alex, Justine, Nikki, and like that's it. All the other characters were all over the place. I tried to do different voices. I tried taking notes. I don't have the vocal range to pull this off. How about that ending? The house just burns down? Where's the bullies? Did they just drive off in the middle of nowhere and you just don't ever hear from them ever again? That's a little much. Where are they? It's also an R.L. Stein trope to have a house burned down. Or something burned to the ground. I have a theory that this book was not written by R.L. Stein, that this was ghost written by somebody else, and they just put R.L. Stein's name on it. First off, the Cameron Mansion is not mentioned in any Fear Street lore ever, except in this book, as far as I know. So that means that somebody just wrote a story and put it in Shadyside and set the story around Shadyside and around Fear Street, and that's all. That means that this story was already written, and they just kind of reworked it a little bit to make it look like a Fear Street novel. Another huge tell is that these chapters were extremely long, and R.L. Stein doesn't write anything that's that long. Another tell is the point of view kept on changing. You went from Terry to Nikki to Terry to David to Terry to Nikki. That's great. It's excellent storytelling. But R.L. Stein never does that. He usually selects a point of view and then tells the story from that point of view, and that's it. Does it make it bad? No. Is it off the rails and nuts? Yes. Is this a good book that I would recommend to somebody as being classic Fear Street? No, it's not. Part of this podcast is reading the books that I have been meaning to read that I haven't read yet, and I'm glad I read this one. Is it a good Halloween story? Yes, it is. Am I glad it's your Halloween episode? Absolutely. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm on Twitter at Nightfall Audiobooks. You can drop me an email, nightfallaudiobooks at gmail.com, or on YouTube at Nightfall Audiobooks. Feel free to like, subscribe, comment, tell your friends, tell your mom, tell anybody that you think would like to listen to someone narrate R.L. Steinbooks. So thank you very much for listening, and I will give you an update before the next book.